Well, today is Palm Sunday. It's a day when we celebrate the triumphal entry of our king. And some would say Jesus is king. He's ruling now from heaven, and the millennium has already began. And there are others who will say, really? Have you seen the earth lately? It's a mess. How can anyone say that Jesus is on the throne? Well, today we come to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 through 19. Again, a curtain is pulled back. And it's going to give us some insight into the questions that I've just asked. So let's read the text, Revelation chapter 11, 15 through 19. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations are angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants to prophets and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. So our passage begins with the angel sounding the seventh trumpet. So let's show you where in the book we are. Remember, the lamb is worthy to open the seals, and he opens the seals of the scroll, but after the sixth seal, before the seventh, there's like two chapters of interlude. And then when he opens the seventh seal, what we get are seven trumpets, but the six trumpets happen, and then there's several chapters of interlude, and today we come to the sounding of the seventh trumpet. So verse 15 the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, or of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Those are actually the words of the Alleluia chorus. But let's draw our attention to that word become. It suggests a process. For example, I could say, over the years, the Chiefs have become a perennial playoff contender. So in 2013, Andy Reid is hired as the coach. And previous to that, like nine out of 10 seasons were losing seasons for the Chiefs. 2013, they they have a record of nine and seven. 2014, they make the playoffs, but they're eliminated in the first round. And then they make the playoffs again, and again, even a couple of Super Bowls. The Chiefs have become a playoff contender. Or I'll give the example of 
my daughter, when she was like eight years old, she had hair that just went everywhere. And she had braces. And she slouched. But if you see my daughter today, she's, she's beautiful. She's poised. She's confident. She's become a beautiful young lady. So in this context, the kingdom of this world has become or is becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It's been a process. Let's look at it this way. God creates the world. He creates man in his image, and he gives Adam and Eve rule over the earth. He says, fill the earth and subdue it. Another way of saying that is, fill the earth and rule it. So the rule is given to Adam and Eve. But they give it away to Satan by believing him. And so Satan got control and rule of the world. And he's been ruling ever since the fall. In fact, when Jesus arrived, Satan said to him, and he tempted him in the wilderness and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, Satan said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. And Jesus did not challenge his assertion. So, Satan has been ruling the earth since the fall. But a king, the rightful king, was born in Bethlehem. And with his birth, he came and he started to reestablish his rule, to establish his rule as God and to establish his rule as a human because humans were given rulership over the earth. So we can think of it this way. I'm show you that graphic. So on that far end, you see Adam gives away his rule. And now Satan rules. And then there's Jesus' first coming. It's an invasion of the kingdom. If you're familiar with World War II, Nazi Germany held sway over the continents of Europe. But on D-Day, there's an invasion that establishes a foothold of the allies in enemy territory. And from that beachhead, they go out and conquer the rest of the continent of Europe. It's a time of war and conquest. So since the first coming of Jesus, there's been war and conquest. The kingdom is advancing. We live in this time of war. But at the seventh trumpet, that's what we've read today, there's going to be a final assault on Satan's kingdom. Think of it as the final assault on Berlin. And within a short time of that seventh trumpet sounding, you're going to have Christ returning, and you're going to have the full rule of Christ. So, does the kingdom of God exist? Yes. It came with the first coming of Jesus. And it's advancing, but it will come to its fullness when Christ returns. It is here, 
and also not yet. Now, um, we have to understand what the kingdom of God, the rule of Christ, looks like. And when Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus said, yes, I am a king, but my kingdom's not of this world. And then Jesus answers, the kingdom of God is within you. Where's the kingdom? Within you. So for a time, we're under the rule of the world. Christ invades by regenerating us by the Holy Spirit and giving us faith. We recognize him as Lord, and now we start to come under his rule. And as we come under his rule, we start showing the fruits of the Spirit in our life. We start acting in loving ways. We start acting in Christ-like ways. Our lives change. Our families start to change. If there's enough people in a community who come under his rule, the community starts to change. If there's enough people in a nation who come under his rule, the nation begins to change, and the kingdom of God advances. And as we who come under his rule rescue people from the kingdom of Satan and bring them into the kingdom of Christ, more and more people come under his rule, and the kingdom on earth advances. And as we do this, the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Now, that being said, I want to give you a perspective perhaps you have not heard before. Not only is this kingdom advancing throughout the earth, but where did I say the kingdom of God is? It's within you. And so the kingdom of the world in you is becoming more and more the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. You were born into the world. The world molds you according to its values. You were educated in the world. You were born in a world that gives you a set of glasses so that you see things through the world's perspective and through the culture you were born into. The world actually rules our hearts. But Christ invaded our lives and brought his rule. But when Christ tries to exert his rule in your life, Your flesh, which grew up in the world, likes to go against the rule of Christ. And so there's a war, not only on the earth, but there's a war in you. Do you feel the war sometimes? In your conscience, in your mind, in your spirit, in your soul? But as we submit to the rule of Christ, The rule of the world gets less and less. The rule of the Christ becomes more and more. And the kingdom of the world in you becomes more and more the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ.
Now that war is going on inside of you. And you can cooperate with whomever you want to. The life-giving choice is to come under the rule of Christ. Because the rule of Satan ultimately is oppressive and destructive. The rule of Christ is life-giving, gentle, powerful, hopeful, satisfying with currents of joy. Now, as your pastor, I, I know this is what's going on. This is why when people come to Christ, I don't, don't expect a change in them right away. They're becoming uh, Christians. They're becoming under rule of Christ. And I'm not going to beat you up for your sins and for your failures because even those sins and failures are working the rule of God in your life because you're going to start to realize this isn't working. Sin is a dead end. I think I'll just submit to Christ. The rule of Christ is always the better choice. Now, we live in a time of war. You see that we're living in this time of war. But at the last trumpet, and let's remind you what the trumpets are. Each of those are different kinds of judgments on the earth, limited in scope. They're for a limited of period of time. But when these judgments come to earth, it gets people's attention. And when people witness and preach the gospel during these times of judgments, people actually come to Christ. But at that last trumpet, there's going to be a final push, a final assault on the kingdom of Satan and on the world that follows him. And so people in heaven respond to this final push. In verse 16 we read, And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, and we're going to say what the people in heaven are saying, so we're going to read what's on the screen. Ready? We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So in heaven, they celebrate this final push, even though it brings judgment to the earth. Now, uh, when people read this book, this chapter, the following chapters, they think, oh, I don't like that. Now, we don't like wrath, do we? But do you want wrongs to be made right? Do you want good to conquer evil? Do you long for the rule of the king and for his kingdom to be truly manifested? 
If you long for those things, then you have to know that judgment on those who hate God will also come with it. And so do not fear this time of wrath. Rather, embrace the rule of Christ and know that he is working to bring his full rule on the earth. Paradise lost is going to be paradise restored. Now let me comment on verse 17 and following. The elders say, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was, who, who is, and who was. Now you read that and you think, hmm, I've read that before. I read that in chapter 5, but it was a little bit different. In chapter 5, they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was, I mean, who is, and who was, and is to come. But now in chapter 11, they don't say who is to come anymore because now they're announcing the coming of the king. This rule is coming with all of its power. The seventh trump marks the end of days, perhaps the seven years of tribulation that will come upon the earth because with this seventh trumpet comes seven bowls of wrath poured out on the earth. And then the elders continue to say, because you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. Is the world angry with the rule of Christ? Remind them of his righteousness. Remind them of his righteousness when it comes to sexual mores. Remind them of his righteousness when it comes to protecting the unborn. Remind the world of his righteousness and they're going to get angry at you. They're angry at the rule of the king. But here the judges say, the time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small. And the time has come for destroying those who destroy the earth. Those who come under his rule, whether they're great or whether they're small, if you come under his rule, there's reward. But if you're angry with the rule of the king, if you follow Satan and the ways of this world, then his judgments are coming. Here's how the passage ends ends with verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. So God's temple is in heaven. We've said that these are the saints who are in heaven. And the ark of the covenant is there. I don't think it's the actual ark of the covenant that was on earth. That ark is not in Tanis in Egypt, you know, like Indiana Jones and the Great Crusade. That ark was in the temple when the Babylonians came. But after that, we hear nothing of it. I think it was hidden. We don't know where the hiding place is. Wherever it is, the remnants of that ark is on earth. But there's a symbolic ark 
in heaven, which represents the same thing as it did on earth. Here's a picture of the ark. God said, I will dwell between the cherubim. These angels are called cherubim. It's where God's presence dwelt. That space between the cherubim where God's presence dwelt it was also called the mercy seat. It was also called his throne. What did the ark represent while it was in the tabernacle or in the temple? It represented this. The presence and the rule of God on the earth. And now that ark, that symbolic ark is in heaven representing the presence and the rule of God. But when it comes to earth, it will come with peals of thunder and lightning and earthquake and hail. And it's all prophetic language for judgment. Meaning when he comes and his presence and rule comes in its fullness, O earth, beware. Because he will come with judgment. But this is encouraging because when he comes, the kingdoms of this earth shall fully become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. In the meantime, in your own life, the kingdom of the world is also becoming the kingdom of Christ. Embrace and submit to that rule. 